0: And
1: I really appreciate the fact that you're joining us. Welcome to the Mentors Radio Show. And as you heard in our introduction, we have three CEO hosts who take turns challenging your thinking about life and work. I'm Rick Brutico, your host for today, and I'm really happy you joined us. I think we have a great show planned for you. We'll be talking to a very good friend of mine, Ken Strotman, the founder of Strotman International. I call today's shows show, rather, Mattel Toys to Kids Meals. Ken is, come, is going to tell us about his very interesting story on how he made the hop from a big-time Fortune 500 company into starting his own company in a newly developing product category. His story, like most of my guests, is one of some start, something starting out and working very hard to make it successful. You will hear how building his company was based upon his personal principles that he developed while growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Family-oriented, people-friendly, and doing what he knew like any other entrepreneurial startup he fought and overcame the same type of business issues and has made his company one of the most well-known sought-after in the segment always the marketeer and his story shows the creativity and ingenuity of his accomplishment i know you'll enjoy ken's interaction with us today along the way i'm going to ask him if he can still start a company can somebody starting out today really start out a company is what i'll ask him so you want to stick with us and hear that he'll give you his Ups and downs of what he thinks is good, bad, and ugly, I think. But let me remind you, we'd like you to call us, email us. We want to hear your questions and your concerns. That's kind of how we decide who to interview for these shows, things that people are interested in. It's important to us because we're really looking for you to be involved. The easy way is to go to thementorsradio.com. That's our website, thementorsradio.com. There you can send us a note. You can give us a call and you can find show notes, archives of podcasts, links to our sponsors, and more, of course. And always at no cost. This is not a premium service. It's just an information service. So uh, go to mentorsradio.com and uh, jot us jot something down. Let us know what you're thinking. Well, I'm happy to say the show is growing. We get more listeners every week, and uh, I like to remind my listeners, both those that are coming back and listening again, and and those that are new to us, that. What our process in this show, what our whole concept in this show is, to provide information from accomplished people with years of experience in the business world and life. You will hear wisdom from my guests today, I assure you. I've mentioned before that my personal definition of wisdom is knowledge modified by experience through or over time. Hopefully, you'll have a different perspective challenging your thought process following today's show because there will be wisdom put out, and that wisdom should affect your thinking on how you would do your specific uh, problems in business and, of course, some of your issues in life. That is why these pearls of wisdom, as I call them, come from experiences of those who have walked this road before us. Business and life, after all, are simply about managing risk. So today's guest has a marvelous story to tell us, both entertaining and stimulating. A few words about Ken before I introduce him. He is the founder of Strotman International, I might better say the creator, a uniquely focused and highly specialized marketing firm marketing firm rather producing those kids meals for casual dining companies. His story teases us with failures along the way and success that is still growing after all these years. From a concept, an idea, a theme, he made his company about products and people and marketing, all things he loves. Mr. Strotman is active in his church and education and community, and he's a domer. He continues to his marketing creativity to support his alma mater through fun activities that introduce youngsters to Notre Dame and raise money at the same time. Ken's story is a short course on how to live life and enjoy your work. We have a lot to cover today. Ken has a lot of things to tell us, so with that, let me say hello, Ken.
2: Hello, Rick. How are you? It's
3: a pleasure to I've... be on the show. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, and so and so nice of you to spend the time with us, I appreciate it. I'm doing very well, uh, it's a little warm here, but uh, other than that, the world is good. Um, I thought, Ken, a, way, a good way to start is to talk a little bit about Strotman International. There's things like private issue, public company, private, uh, uh, privately owned, family owned, those kinds of things, what you do, who your customer is, and maybe if we go into that, and then we can just see where that takes us.
2: Okay, that's great. Great place to start. I did just wanted to comment on your uh, word wisdom that you brought up on up front there. I'm I'm not sure if it's wisdom or if it's just old age. Okay, you know, in many ways, but
3: <laughs> certainly
2: these things that uh, we got to experience along the way, and um, hopefully something here would stick and maybe can mean something to. Um, some of your listeners out there.
1: Um, well, Ken, we had to pay, we had to get something with those gray hairs that we got. You know, the, so that's, that's the old age <laughs> we've <earned> portion. <laughs> yeah, we've earned them. That's right. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Well, the the company we're a creative company, and the company is called Stroutman International, which is my last name. And uh, the reason why that happened was I was out of town. Um, when the company got named, I thought the company was going to be called, you know, marketing marketing resources. But we couldn't clear that name, so the accountants and the uh, lawyers ended up uh, plugging my last name onto the front name. And over the years, uh, we just started losing those words on the back end of it. So we're now often just referred to as Stratman or Stratman International. And uh, we're a uh, we're a private company. Uh, we're owned by the family. And uh, we've been in business about uh, 35 years, and um, I founded the company when uh, I came out of Mattel, where I was one of their vice presidents of of marketing. Um, what we do is uh, we're basically in the business of uh, creating uh, moments of happiness, and uh, we do that with uh, with kids and uh, and with their families, and we do that um, in connection with the uh, the brands uh, of the companies that uh, that we work with. Uh, the companies, the clients of ours include people like, uh, Wendy's doing their kids' meal or, uh, Chick-fil-A, um, or, uh, Lowe's, the, the home improvement centers. And, uh, we're also doing some programs with, with Kroger. And, um so it's those kinds of clients that we do business with. Um, you know, I guess what we do is, is we do both, a um, little bit of marketing jargon, but we do the front end of, of the business where we do the, the research, the insights, the strategy, licensing, if appropriate, and create. And then we also do the back end in terms of really the execution where, you know, most often when you market to with kids and families, you know, a product is involved or a toy, if you would. And uh, we engineer that, we tool that, we design that, uh, we graphic that, we package it, and we manufacture it and, uh, and we import it. Um, so it's a it's a fun business on the same hand uh, you know it's a uh, it's a serious business and uh, you know we do about hundred fifty million of those uh, you know every year that um, that we uh, the, those moments of happiness if you would that uh, you know that we create
1: Let me stop you there, Ken because we're running up against the break so uh, we'll pick it up right after there uh, so stick with me and we'll hear the rest of the story of how kids' meals come about.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, welcome back. Glad you're listening to The Mentors. This is Rick Brudico, and uh, we are talking to Ken Strotman, the founder of Strotman International, or as he told us in the last segment, simply Strotman, his last name. So, Ken, you were describing to us the way you create these campaigns, and I think... If I remember correctly, we once talked about this, and you put together the entire campaign you don't you don't do a marketing campaign and a design campaign, and then all of these things and kind of charge for all your services along the way I think you the result the end of your your product is a product that's deliverable to the to your customers, and they pay you by the products they use. Is that correct, or maybe you could describe the process a bit sure sure that
2: that's correct we do we do promotional programs that uh look to attract kids and families to our our client brand. And um, if we were an advertising agency, you know, we would produce a commercial and then we would run it on TV. And in our particular case, we create, okay, you know, this program, and then we execute it in the form of a toy. So the toy itself, you know, is is what we actually sell to our our clients. They pay us on a per toy basis, and uh, those toys at a fast food chain, you know, on average, they only live about uh, one week, um, you know, in those stores <laughs> and never, yeah. to, never to come back again. So right. the life of these things is very short because kids want something new the next time they, uh, they come in and want to see it. So we source those products on a global basis. We uh, source those where we can get the cost, you know, the cost correct, where we can get the quality and, and absolutely positively be safe, um, you know, for the, for the children.
1: Well, that amazes me, because I always thought that was a very unique concept. Did you come up with that, or was that kind of an industry standard? Yeah, uh, actually, the toy
2: industry have not come out of the toy industry. It's the way that most of the toys are produced. Um, So, you know, we don't, unless you have, say, a Barbie doll that you're producing year after year and day after day, you know, in in their case, they could actually own or have at least interest, okay, you know, in in a factory. But in our case, we create a new a new product every week, so we don't want to restrict our creative people from having to produce, you know, say plastic toys or plush toys or or uh, paper toys. You know, we want them to create ever best for the, this particular client in this particular program. So, well, uh, so uh, we don't want to have a vested interest in it because that would actually, quite frankly, it would be a conflict for us. You know, so we we uh, we source those products and then we oversee the the engineering and the, and the safety, the quality uh, of, of the work that's done.
1: So part of the, the name international, therefore, means that you're having these made offshore and you have uh, people that work for you that do some of that work for you offshore somewhere, right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. We, we manufacture in China. We manufacture in uh, India, Indonesia, and we do a lot of work domestically also. And uh, just depending on uh, really what that product is.
1: Well, that, that's very interesting, and I, I think that concept makes it easy, at least as thinking of when I was, ran my own companies, uh, you know, the concept, you always get blown away by the marketing costs up front and hoping that you're going to get a result. In your case, it seems it's pretty simple. The, the, it's, I don't have to pay for anything until I start getting it, and once I start getting it, I pay for it, and I know, therefore, it's going out the door because people are grabbing it and asking to come in to use it. So uh, I, I really think that's a clever way to sell uh, a marketing campaign.
2: Yeah, what's kind, of, what's kind of great about it is, is, is that the, uh, just as a business model, you know, everything we produce, is, it gets used. Like you say, there's no remnant inventory on it. And uh, on the other side of it, the only place that that product can get sold is, is who we've custom produced it for. So uh, the only people that can sell the toys, the Wendy's toys, are the Wendy's people, and that's it. So they're, they're individualized
1: so uh that's that you mentioned a second ago one of the mattel famous toys called barbie and i know that you are married to a barbie and i thought you just might we might make that segue to just have you talk a little bit about your family and your upbringing in cincinnati ohio and some of the things that may have been uh interesting in cincinnati as compared to what you see today in uh, newport beach uh, especially for the youngsters that are looking for something to do
2: sure sure you know if uh if i had if I went to work for uh mattel of of course my wife's name and with my name being Ken of course her name would have to be Barbie so uh so you know we would fit right into there in terms of really uh for namesakes uh you know what as she likes to say, it's more Barbie and Ken than it is Ken and Barbie so
1: and I know that to be true as a friend of yours. <laughs>
2: yeah barb and i had met actually in high school we started dating in high school back in in cincinnati ohio and uh and then uh you know so we've been married now coming up on uh 45 years so um we've been together for you know for for a long time we have three children um all boys and uh one is in washington dc and uh they have uh four children Four grandchildren for us, and uh, the middle one lives up in Moraga, up in uh, Northern California, and they have three children. He's married to Britt, and um, uh, the oldest one is Matt, is is uh, married to Kathleen. And then our youngest son Peter, he lives here in uh, in Orange County, um, and he is not married, and uh, there are no grandchildren on his part. So we're hoping for those
3: someday.
1: Well, it's always good to have some reserves, you know. Right, <laughs> I, know in, right. I know in my, core, my case, the, the resources have pretty much stopped the work. So, mm. uh, But I'm, I'm, I'm curious also that from there, you somehow made the decision to go to Notre Dame. So Cincinnati and Notre Dame, I mean, you were really close to Ohio State. Well, not really close, but in the same state, well-known university. Uh, what, what caused you to go to Notre Dame?
2: Uh the reason I went to Notre Dame is because they uh they rejected me.
1: <laughs> kind of an in,
2: kind of an interesting story, but maybe there's a lesson in it too. Um but um, I had applied to uh four different colleges and uh three of them accepted me accepted me and and one didn't. And um I had never been rejected before, you know, at anything. You know, you made all the soccer teams, and, you know, and you got into the grade school, you wanted to go to or college, but, you know, not college, but high schools, and and all of a sudden, you know, to get rejected at something was the first time, and I didn't understand what this concept was, but I figured that um, either they made a mistake or they uh, needed some more information. And um, actually, you know, back in those days, I hitchhiked back up to school and met the Individual's name that was on the bottom of the letter and asked him. I didn't understand how this worked or something. And <laughs> is there something else I need to do? And he, and he asked me why do you want to go here, I said, well, because you have a higher standard, um, you know, than uh, than anyone else. Okay, that I applied to. and it really wasn't some dream that I wanted to go to Notre Dame. It was just that they had a higher standard, and I and I wanted to go there. And um, a few months later, I got a, another letter to say that uh, an opening had occurred and. Um, so I went, uh, you know, to the university. It might be the equivalent of what now is like a wait list that the, the schools have, but I just know that I didn't like being rejected. And uh, so I wanted to, to give them some more information. And apparently, I believe that that ended up reversing that decision.
1: Well, um, and I think I think you result. said that you think there could be a message there. And I hope all my listeners hear this. Um, we all are going to get rejected one way or another, and especially in the sales process, boy, rejection's the name of the game. And I think that I'm taken away, and uh, I'm imagining that's what you're implying, Ken, is that perseverance. You know, that's the key. Just keep going, don't stop, because somebody says no, but there's always somebody that might say yes. Yeah, and it's not so much
2: about you know when somebody rejects you for something. that's I operate on the basis of they 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 just need some more information. Um, it 's not about going back and trying to sell them or convince them of something else you know you're just looking to provide additional information in terms of really what it is that you have to offer or the kind of student in this case that you would be, or that you know that you would really be committed and and provide okay you know something to uh, to them in in return, be the kind of student that they would want you to be.
1: Well, that's that's uh, the, exactly the kind of thinking I think so many entrepreneurs have to have. You've got to provide the information necessary for people to select it. you. Yeah. Know, we only have a few uh, seconds left right now, but I'm, I want to set this up, set up our next section for coming back after the break. Because if I recall, when you got to Notre Dame, you were a straight A student and never looked back. So is that right? <laughs> No, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so let's leave that as the te- Let's leave that as a teaser, and let all, let all the audience think about what the heck's he talking about, and know that's not right, and how did we get from there to here? And we'll just pick that up right after the break. So stick with us again, and you'll hear Ken's story of how he got to Notre Dame and just knocked everybody's socks off.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, hello again, and welcome back. This is Rick Brudico, your mentor host for today. And I'm with Ken Stratman, the founder, creator of Stratman International, in a show that I call From Mattel Toys to Kids Meals. And uh, just before we took the break, Ken made a point of saying that... Uh, he had gone to Notre Dame because it was the one school that rejected him. And uh, in so doing, uh, it caused me to ask him if he moved on his same excellence track that he was in his early days. And I said to him, and I'll say it again, so Ken, you moved into Notre Dame, and it was straight A's and no looking back. Is that right? Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> No, exactly the opposite. Uh, actually, Rick, I, I found out why they rejected me. Uh, I found out that I was really not prepared. Uh, you know, as I maybe I thought I was going to be coming out of high school and you know high school senior, and found out the standards were a bit higher than uh, than I had anticipated. So I struggled, and um, I was getting C's, and I think I got a D. and I don't know if I got any Ds or not, but it was very intimidating. It was very difficult. And uh, luckily, on the the last day of school, taking the the final exam, you know, there was a a sheet of paper that was hanging on the door in the dorm, and it said uh, Tokyo on it. It said, uh, spend your sophomore year in Japan. And um, they had magic words on there that said, um, you know, it it wasn't going to cost me any more. And there was uh, zero language requirement. So basically, I, I'm not the kind of person that can quit, and uh, but it was just really tough on me that that freshman year. But I could basically escape and uh, spend my sophomore year in Tokyo. So that's exactly what I did. And I uh, went home for a, a month or so and then got on a plane and flew halfway around the world, you know, to, to go to school. And uh, it was a great experience, but it was basically me running away If you would or escaping uh you know what i couldn't do but um you know i couldn't compete but i went over there and turned out to be just a a fabulous fabulous experience and uh would just highly recommend anybody you know really having an international experience as part of their uh college education
1: in what in what sense would you say to our listeners that it was a fabulous experience in other words uh is, is the sense that just being in in foreign lands or was there something unique about the education over there or was it a maturation process how would you how would you give them an idea of what that did for you
2: yeah i would say you know you're what are we 19 years old you know at that time or something like that or it's maybe 19 years old and you know you, you think you're you're better or more grown up than you really are and when you're that far away and that um, we didn't have McDonald's at that time, and you know, long-distance phone calls were really expensive. So I think I only called home one time. We could write letters, you know, back and forth, but that was about it. So I couldn't understand the radio, and I couldn't read the newspapers. And so you're you're basically there, you know, there to learn, and uh, and that's that's basically what we did. Just opened up both ears real wide, you know, to uh, to figure out really what to do. And had found that there were different kinds of challenges other than just grades that, you know, you needed to overcome. And uh, over time, you didn't realize this, but it was just building up a whole sense of confidence, you know, in yourself. And probably a good way to introduce, introduce maybe the the idea here was that I remember at the end of the school year, you know, the, the 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 priest came walking into my room and he handed me a plane ticket and the plane ticket was worth more than my net worth was. It was like $972 <laughs> to be exact. And uh, and I remember before the door even closed behind even leaving, I was dashing down to my motorcycle to hop on it to cash it in, you know, to have that much money in my hands. And, um, you know, at the Pan Am office, that's how long ago this was, I remember they, they the, the woman said that, well, I'm sure that the university will give you the money back once you get back to school next year. And I, No, 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 I won't be able to get back to school if I don't have this money. I'm going to have to figure out a different way to do this. And, uh, well, I kind of figured out that that wasn't going to work. I wasn't going to be able to get a refund on the ticket. And uh, so I said, so what if I never knew anybody? You know, she said, well, can I get money back because I'm going to go to New York and I only have to go to Cincinnati and it's a shorter trip. And so I got a little education on how planes work. And before I knew it, I was going the other way um, around the world. Um, I had uh, never known anyone who had flown around the world, and I thought that that would be a phenomenal accomplishment, you know, just in and of itself. And uh, apparently the airlines back then had rulings, as long as you kept traveling in the same direction, you know, you could pay the same, um, you know, for the ticket. In other words, there was no incremental cost for it.
1: So I remember that. that I remember that well, Ken. It was called the World Traveler Program, and and that's exactly what happened. So, for a lot of my listeners that are unaware of that, and I know some some airlines still offer that today, by the way, listeners. But anyway, Ken, pick that pick that up. So you decided to go around the world backwards, and and where did you end up going? Some of the areas.
2: Well. You know, first thing I had to get over was uh, it cost another $100, you know. Instead of getting <laughs> my money back, I had to come up with another $100 that I didn't have. And, uh, you know, so I said, "Thought I'll be right back. And I had to go out and sell my motorcycle. And I sold it for about, you know, the equivalent in yen. I think, you know, I sold it for about $200. And I came back and gave her half of my money, and she didn't have the ticket written. And I said, well, why isn't the ticket written? Because I'm ready to go. And uh, she said, well, you didn't tell me where you want to stop. And I didn't understand that at first, but she said, as long as you're heading in that same direction, you could stop. And you know, you could stop anywhere you want. So I ended up stopping in 28 countries, and I took 48 days to, to get back. And the only money I had was the $100 that I the other half of the motorcycle and the a few extra little bit more change in there, and uh, so I slept in airports and I ate on airplanes and um, I hitchhiked or walked out of airports, uh, you know, all around the world. And well, uh, so it just was a sense of confidence that uh, was a real experience. That by the time I was finished with that, I was ready to face just about anything.
1: You know, what it sounds like that perseverance again came through, uh, and you know, I, I just feel like one of the one of the things that i always feel college gets us into or helps us do besides hopefully learn something one of the things that helps to make us independent and this is the classic independent you know it's the story of taking the youngsters out and the uh, the native americans taking the youngsters out and when they were 12 14 13 14 and they had to get back in order to survive the maturation process and i think you kind of put yourself through that i mean it's a Ah, uh, really, a fa- a fantastic story, and and it it shows that when you want something, you want to figure out how to do it. I mean, I like the idea of selling your motorcycle and to pick up an extra hundred bucks. You had to <laughs> you had to figure out how to get that home anyway. and I know you weren't going to ride it, so <laughs> right. right, So so from there, uh, from there, you came back and uh, I guess uh, moved into uh, uh, becoming working for Mattel. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, a few steps in between. I mean, I you know graduated from the I mean, I was you know I, I was so confident when I came back. I actually had to take three years worth of school and in two years and ended up graduating with honors because of the experience that I really had. You know, with um, you know really in Japan and what it taught me. Never used a, a word of Japanese since then, but it was just um, you know a lot of confidence and a lot of ability to go and. When I got out of school, I went right back to school and got a master's degree in, in marketing and then started my job in uh, working on toilet bowl cleaners. So I can always <laughs> say truthfully, I started my career in the toilet bowl. <laughs> Toilets. For, uh, on vanished toilet bowl cleaners back in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, learned all the basics of brand management and marketing. And uh, from there, went to Quaker Oats and uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory in St. Louis and And then I moved to Chicago, you know, uh, Willy Wonka was in uh, St. Louis and then to Chicago to work for Borden Foods uh, Cracker Jack division, and then to California with Mattel after about 10 years of working really with those, uh, those big companies.
1: Well, that, that's a really exciting story and perfect timing because we're coming up to a break again. But what I want to pick up and talk about when we get back is how you got from there to come up with this idea of kids' meals and and therefore the whole marketing campaign that led to Strotman, or as it's now called, or Strotman International. So hold on, audience, and keep that your hand off that dial because we're coming right back.
0: And now, back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Well, welcome back to the mentors. Uh, you're listening to uh, the Mentors Radio. Uh, I'm Rick Brudico, your host for this week's show. And don't forget, check us out at thementorsradio.com. This week, we are talking with Ken Strotman, founder of Strotman International. So when we left, Ken, you had just told us of this, after finishing this uh, fantastic round the world story, graduating from school, working at three or four companies, you ended up at Mattel. So kind of pick it up from there and tell us uh, what happened in that uh, in that particular situation. Well,
2: um, I, I always like to, to, to let people know that I never decided to um, leave Mattel, and um, I ne- neither did I decide to uh, start my own company either. Uh, Mattel decided, you know, that uh, they came, to, that I ended up getting laid off. And mm-hmm. uh, this was a uh, really difficult uh, time for me because I had only succeeded. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like rejected at Notre Dame. And I kind of overcame that, you know, kind of did this thing. But I, in the career, I had never been, been laid off. And um, I went over to the electronics division just in time for it to be too late, um, you know, to try to help them. And once I got into the sixth grade over there, it was difficult to go back to the fifth grade and to go back and work right. for the toy company. So I found myself outside and um, three kids at home. And uh, my wife was taking care of the kids and I was supposed to bring bringing home the bacon. And uh, now what am I going to do? And um, so it was a real trying time, a real trying time. Um Luckily, that, uh, you know, they decided that they would continue paying me for a few more months, and it gave me a little bit of breathing room, and uh, I started interviewing for other jobs to be other vice president of marketing at toy companies, and as, either as I got accepted by those or was in the process of doing it or getting rejected by those, you know, I decided that this really wasn't going to work because I knew how this book was going to read, and I knew how that chapter would end. And um, so I, I didn't want to do it. So And that got me even more scared because I w- didn't know where, where a career was going to go from here. So what, what I did is is I started to change my mind and I started to come up to the concept that instead of looking for a job, what I wanted to do is is I wanted to spend the rest of my career doing what it is that I do best. And it's a very simple concept, and I'm sure you've heard about it again, but what it means to me... Okay, is, is it's kind of the axis around which life revolves. I believe if you're doing what it is you do best, it most likely leads to success, to relationship, to friendship, to fulfillment, happiness, significance, anything you want. And uh, the probability of that happening is higher when you're in a position of doing what it is that's your strong suit. You know, it's sort of like I've I've heard this this eighty twenty rule. Where people say you spend 80 percent of your time doing things that produce 20 percent of your productivity, and the other 20 percent you you spend producing 80 percent of your productivity. Well, my philosophy is is spending 100 percent of my time in that 20 percent zone, and uh, that's what I do. And when I do that, I'm 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 really good at it, and I know that I can compete, and I will be very effective at it. And I approach the career from that standpoint, saying, what is it that I do best? And how can I spend the rest of my career doing that instead of just simply doing the job?
1: I think, I think I'd like to focus on that a minute, Ken, because I, uh, you say people have heard it before. I certainly hadn't until you mentioned it to me one time. Uh, you often hear people say, do what you enjoy and you'll do well. I've heard people say, do what you like or you love and the money will follow. I've heard those kinds of things. But when you start talking about do what you do best, that's an entirely different concept, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. It's very much so. I mean, you know, Michael Jordan belonged playing basketball, not not baseball.
1: Not baseball. He,
2: right. he he could succeed. He was built for it. He had a mentality for it. He was so good at it. Okay, you know. So why would you want to try to do something that you're really not good at? Or you're not as competitive at. You know. So that that's really what the concept is. If I if I use it in terms of what happened with that decision is is it turned really my head, you know, when people say, how did you decide to, to start your own company? My answer to you is, is I never did. I don't know how to start a company. I had never done it before. I don't know how to payroll. I don't know how to hire people. I don't know how to get an office. I don't know how to do the accounting for it. I don't know how to do all of the things that it takes to, to run a company. But what I do know how to do is those things that I really do best. And what I did is, is I went through the process, okay, of saying, what are those things? And um, really, you know, one of the hardest lessons to learn, you know, is is that what it is that I do best is not necessarily what I think it is, but it's what other people perceive you to be. And uh, that was a tough lesson to learn, and I learned that one the hard way, too. But once you can find out what it is that people you work with, people who it is that, that really love you or people that you haven't been very effective with, can really describe what it is you do best. You can put yourself into that position and do that for the rest of your career. So, in contrast to me looking for a marketing job at a toy company, you know, I basically found out, okay, that I'm just a I'm a big kid. I found out that I I was a good when I was in Ohio. I was a kid and I didn't have a lot of trouble in there. Get beat up or or you know something bad happened to me. You know, I. I love I worked on all this kid stuff and I, you know, this kid and grandpa, you know, I got my own kids and they, you know, you know, so it's just whole thing all fits. I like starting things. You know, you talk about this thing. I mean, I'm not afraid of things, you know, buy a plane ticket and go halfway around the world. I, I love starting things. I love being on the front end of them. Even when I looked at my career, I never took a job that existed prior to me going into it. Or if I did, it was totally different within the first month or so. I like creating things, and I like to, you know, and you know, so I, you know, it's I like people things. I like being with people. I I don't like giving big speeches. In fact, I'm a little uncomfortable even being on the radio because I, you know, it just isn't how I do things. So I oftentimes, if it wasn't for Rick, I wouldn't put myself in that, you know, situation. You know, so so then when you say what it is that I do best, once you've got a definition of that, you keep putting yourself in that all the time, all the time on the front end on starting things on the people things, on the client things. So I don't manufacture the product, I don't engineer the product, I don't finance the product, I don't human resource the product, I don't do any of that. I have other people here who compliment me that that's what they do best. And I surround my people with a team of people that I always screen them on the basis of, what is it that we need and is that what it is that they do best? And when I find people like that, you know, you really put together a team that really is uh, really effective and fires on all cylinders.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Ken. That's really great uh, help for us uh, that are listening to your story. I, I want to ask you, I've got about a minute left, and maybe you could sum up one thing. If you had to give to the listeners or to me or to anyone else, what would you say is the best way to find out what it is you do best from somebody else's perspective?
2: It's very easy just, just ask people. Ask as many people that you are willing to listen to you and to give you that perspective. And um, they will draw that picture for you. They will put words into that. They will tell you exactly who you are because um, you don't know what, how they perceived what it is. In fact, you know, the way that I figured it out was is my first, I went to every boss I had, okay, you know, in my career. And I asked them, what is it that I do best? And they all described what it is that I do best, okay, and they started telling me exactly what it is that I did really well for them. And that ended up actually putting me into business because they all hired me to do what they just got finished, telling me that I did so well for them. When I worked on toilet bowl cleaners or I worked on Cracker (laughs) Jack or I worked on Willy Wonka, or Vitality, they all hired me to do that. So, you know, it just works. It kind of goes around in the circle. It's the space of what it is that I do best.
1: Anything. that shows your market that shows your marketing come on, uh, coming on. And what a great way to get a job, too. I like that a lot. Yeah, we're We're up against the break again, Ken. So stick with us, listeners, and we'll be right back with Ken Straman.
0: And now, Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Well,
1: hello and welcome back to The Mentors. I'm Rick Brutico and I'm with Ken Strotman. It's been a very interesting program today and I want to move along because we're running out of time. We're coming up against the last segment of the show and Ken's dropped so many pearls of wisdom. I'd like to just ask you this specific question, Ken. Uh, what what lessons, what are the lessons that you've learned that you would really say you want to pass on to those people listening today? Young people coming up and those people struggling in career moves much like you did.
2: Yeah, yeah I'd say the first one, I think we talked about it early, was rejection. You know, rejection is a good thing. You know, we l- usually learn by, uh, you know, things that don't go the way we thought they would go. You know, just embrace rejection and give them a little bit more information. Um, mm-hmm. I think the other one, you know, the cornerstone to me, you know, is to do what you do best. If you get yourself into that space, I tell you, you know, life becomes pretty easy, work becomes easy, and friendships and everything else. So, I mean, those, those would really be the two key ones that I would just like to pass on.
1: Well, thank you. Those are great things. And I'm just curious, can, can you do these things in other than your business life? Do you see those same kinds of traits or other traits similar to them working in your bu- outside of your business life?
2: Yeah, you know, you know, for somebody like me, you know, you get to a point you just say to yourself, Okay, you know, I've been doing these things that have worked for me, we've made a good good living for, for my family, you know, and we're we're fine and taken care of and you say, So what else can I do with this? Where where can I take this? And I look outside and I say that there's a lot of other people that are in need in terms of really what to do. And, and I, I used the University of Notre Dame as an example that I love Notre Dame. Okay, I love the Notre Dame part of my family. Two of my sons, uh, you know, went to Notre Dame. And, you know, and I said, how can I help? What can I do there? I didn't want to just mail checks back to South Bend. And, and I don't visit there that often because it's so far, far, far away. So I came up with the concept of, you know, you know ND to OC. And the concept is bring Notre Dame to Orange County. And uh we send Orange County students to Notre Dame, and I wanted to reverse that flow. I wanted to bring the spirit of the University of Notre Dame to Orange County, where I live work and pray. So what I did is is I created an endowment and uh did it in the club's name and uh you know we've raised like three million dollars over the last few years okay you know to to bring Notre Dame out here to do teaching in the in the underprivileged schools and the parochial schools. You know, mostly around the Santa Ana area. And then we also do this in terms of community service, in terms of um, underwriting students that would come to Orange County to do volunteer work for your charge that the, the club and this endowment would then pay for.
1: You know, so. I, think, I think that's just an amazing thing, and I can tell the listeners I'm well aware of this. Uh, it's unlike anything Ken's a starter he's a creator and this is a very unusual program and it's quite quite successful three million dollars is no small amount of money to raise but more importantly the number of kids that he's influenced is amazing I compliment you for that Ken and I I guess in a couple of words can you say do you recommend that that uh, people start the give back process or do, do they wait till they're ready to retire you know, I, I think you can
2: do more after you've learned more or after you have some wisdom or after you have some money or after you have some abilities, but there's no reason not to get started right away. I mean, I've always cared about other people, but I don't think working through my own career and doing things with my own family that I had as much time for that. I have more of the time and I have more of those things to get back with, so I'm certainly on the increase there. The, the ratio has certainly changed.
1: Well, it's great, Ken, and I I really know that all of the people that I've I've interviewed so far, they're all involved in some segment outside of their work life, and it's always giving back to others, whether it's those people that can't afford it or whether it's systems that they want to Promote and get people to go. So I thank you very much for being our guest today. That kind of wraps us up. And uh, let me just uh, speaking to the audience a second. Uh, let me tell you that uh, we've been speaking with Ken Stratman today and we've had a great show. We've learned a lot of things that have been really interesting to us. And I hope that everybody will uh, pay attention, go to our website, listen to some of this stuff again and remember every day in every way do what do your part to make the world a little better.